Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Last December, I had the good fortune of meeting an Egyptian lawyer, visiting some Egyptian friends right here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, when I heard his story of working for women's rights in Egypt, and also the antagonism and retribution it has brought upon his head from some citizens and some from the Egyptian government, and of his steadfast dedication to the work of equal rights, it was clear to me that I would love to have Reda Eldanbuki as my Spirit in Action guest. There were some hurdles to be surmounted, however, including some medical emergencies of his to be dealt with. Now, during his recuperation, Reda is stationary long enough to join me for a deep dive into his work and his path of addressing women's rights in a Muslim country currently under dictatorial control. Although I'm far from knowledgeable about the laws and customary norms of Egypt or of those of Islam, I'm deeply interested in part because I've studied the evolution of Western laws and norms regarding women over the centuries, and I'm excited for the progress, even when it's painfully slow, and of the two-steps-forward, one-step-back variety. Still, through the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness, an organization that Rada founded and of which he is the director, a team of activists have been addressing issues like female genital mutilation, spousal rape, economic equality, and other aspects of women's equality. It's by the faithful work of folks like Reda and his co-workers that the long moral arc of the universe bends toward justice. Reda is building his English fluency, but for the ease of our listeners, we were able to enlist as translator the aid of a Jewish Israeli, Ran Meir, a worker for justice and human connection, formerly a correspondent with the Clarion Project, an organization working to educate the public about the dangers of ideological extremism. It is with gratitude that I welcome both Reda Eldenbuki and Ran Meir here today via Zoom. Reda, thank you so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. And also, Ran Mayer, since you're acting as translator, I'd like to welcome you as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And maybe I'll start with you, Ran, because it may be a little bit surprising that someone in Israel is translating for someone from Egypt. I take it you're Jewish and that somehow you know Arabic as well as Hebrew and English. Yes, basically, I live in Israel and all of our neighbors speak Arabic. And like 20% of our population also speak Arabic, but not many Jews inside Israel, maybe just 4 or 5% know Arabic. But for me, it was very important from a young age to learn this language because it's a tool to communicate with your neighbors. And in Israel, unfortunately, we need Arabic for times of war and time for peace. And it seems like we are living them both simultaneously here in the Middle East. Well, I'm very thankful to have you here and to help out with Reda. Now, I met Reda last December, and I've gotten to know what a fine man and what fine work he is doing. So I want to start off with Reda telling us a little bit about himself, how old you are, where you started your work as a lawyer, and how you came to be an advocate of women's rights in Egypt. 
انا اسمي رضا الدنبوكي محامي His name is Reda Dunbuki. He is a lawyer, executive manager of his organization, the Center of, uh, of Women's Rights and Legal Awareness. He's 39. He finished his law in 2003. He's been practicing law for 17 years. And he established this organization in 2013. And how did you get into starting this organization? Why start the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness? Why do that? I mean, there's many other forms of law you can practice. She was born in a simple neighborhood in which they always preferred the male over the female, and he had three sisters. As, as a child, his family always preferred him for his sisters, and this wasn't only his family, that was how the society was behaving. And he was wondering why his sisters don't like him and why his family prefers always him rather than his sisters. And then he was surprised that his family did a circumcision to his older sister. After that, they married her to someone that she didn't know, she didn't even like. They forced her to marry him. And Reda says that this is another kind of violence against women. And then he decided that he would be a lawyer and that he would fight for women's rights and specifically violence inside the family and sexual harassment. Then he, in this way, he could do what his mother uh, wanted him to do. So it was his mother's will that he would protect women of his family and also the women of Egypt. So how common is the experience that you, Reda, had with your family, with what happened to your older sister? Is that very common in Egypt now? I mean, you're 39 years old, so maybe much has changed in your lifetime. Regarding circumcision, Egypt is second in the world with the number of women circumcised. It's 92% of women in Egypt between the ages of 15 and 45 that were uh, circumcised. There are approximately 15 million cases of divorce in in Egypt, which means 30 million uh, people divorced, and that's around one-third of the Egyptian population. Is child marriage, is parental decision on marriage very common in Egypt these days? You can find it in Egypt, but it's not so, like, it's not easy to find it, but we know that it exists. It's especially common with the poor and neglected families, the marginalized families, that they marry their daughters under the age of 18. And even though there is a law that if you do it, it's like it's against the law. I think you worked for eight years as a lawyer before you got involved with your profession working for women's rights in Egypt. Are there a lot of human rights lawyers in Egypt? And are there a lot of resources you can draw on for your work for women's rights? He chose to protect women's rights because of the spread of violence against women inside Egypt. 
And he also said that there are not many lawyers who deal with women's rights because the Egyptian government is fighting all of the lawyers who deal with women and human's rights inside Egypt. There are not a lot of resources from the government or at all. And if they are getting fundings from different sources, so the government is blaming them for being spies and hurting Egypt's interests and doing bad things. So they, are, they don't have many resources. I want to review a little bit of Egyptian history. Unfortunately, so many people in the USA have very little understanding or knowledge of the Egyptian situation. But almost all of us have heard about the Arab Spring uprising of 2011. So people know a little bit about that. Could you talk about what the role of women was before 2011 and after 2011 in terms of women's rights? Did it get better? Did it get worse? Did that help or hurt? Before 2011, uh, women didn't have any voice whatsoever. The only time people cared or the government cared about them, it was in election times. And when it was election, they would honor the women because they needed their votes. After that, they would just vanish. That's before 2011. During 2011, women had a big role. They uh, participated in all of the demonstrations in the different square, especially at Tahrir Square. And their voices were very high. They helped uh, like spread the rumors and all kinds of letters. And they helped all the wounded and the people that got injured. And they joined organizations of human and women's rights. And they were participating in cleaning the streets. So Mubarak was replaced and there was a few transitions. And, and now Sisi is in charge there. How does the situation now in 2020 compare with what happened in 2011, 2012? Are we better or worse? Is there a good direction we're going in? In the era of Mubarak, before 2011, there weren't any human rights. There were very, very small human rights. Like, it was very hard to find it. But now, when we have the dictator Sisi, you have no rights and you have no human beings, basically. He closed more than 1,000 sites on the internet of free speech and uh, free expression. And he has locked down more than 60,000 opposition people and activists for human rights. He prevented 1,000 human rights activists from traveling, and he was uh, one of them. But fortunately now, Reda, you have been able to travel. I met you. December of last year as part of your travels in the Midwest here in the United States. On a totally different topic than women's rights, do you like winter? Uh, little bit. <laughs> he says that the winter here is very harsh and hard on him, but it's much better than the fire from Assisi. I understand that in Egypt, 
in the 1950s is when women got the vote. I understand that back in 2015, that about 14, 15% of the parliament was women. Has that continued into 2020? Are there more or fewer women? In comparison, in the United States, it was 1920 when women got the vote, and still women for our national legislature are only 25% or 24%. So it's not a tremendous difference between even Egypt in 2015 and the USA today. Women, it's true that they started voting in the 50s, and now things have changed because they changed the rules in favor of women, and there is, how you call it, a positive discrimination for women. But he says that the securities organization inside Egypt, they choose which women exactly would go to parliament and which women will not go. It's not like every woman who wants. It's the security organizations that control it. The presence of women, it's like something cosmetic, only for the beauty of it, and only to please the international community, basically. You did mention, however, Reda, that the fact that women were voting, that at least at election time, the government or the people running for government will try to attract the women's vote. Does the fact that women have the vote affect at all the laws in Egypt? Basically, the right to vote is a good thing, but we should know that inside Egypt, both men and women don't like a sissy, and the only reason that they vote because they have to. Every manager of a company or institution forces its employees to go and vote. And if you don't go to vote, you will be punished. He said that at the last elections for the parliament, no one uh, went into vote, basically because they didn't have to do it. And according to the statistic, apparently 80 million people didn't go to vote. Well, let's talk, Reda, about some of the specific issues. We've already mentioned female circumcision, sometimes called female genital mutilation. My understanding is that that was a traditional practice in Egypt and that there actually has been a law passed that it is illegal now. So when did that law pass and is it being enforced? Women's circumcision today, it's more than 92% of the population are being circumcised. The law passed in 2008, and even though many women are still being circumcised, and some women and girls are dying from circumcision. Is there a difference in the practice or not practice of female circumcision between the rural, the country, and in the cities? If we look about it statistically, circumcision is related to how much people are educated. The poor people, especially in the villages and the delta area, are doing circumcision more. 
But the thing that happened is that many of the people started like walking and having relations inside the cities and the more uh, cultural areas. And this circumcision has moved from the villages inside the cities because of this move of people from the village to the city. My understanding, Reda, is that you have had some problems with people in Egypt, maybe the government, maybe not government, because you were trying to support young women not having the female circumcision. Could you talk about your situation with that? He says that he's, he's constantly being threatened by the government and the security organization because he's helping women with equality, uh, against circumcision, and also the LGBTQ uh, community. And they, because of that, the government has prevented him from leaving Egypt twice. They have canceled the license of his organization a few times. And he was beaten by people that were encouraged by the government to do so. He was just recently, he knew that the government is like pursuing him or want to prosecute him because he meets with people and foreign people in an organization that wants to hurt Egypt. And all of it, it's lies and it's not true. So do you feel, Reda, that this threat from the government is very current? That I know currently you're here in the Midwest of the United States. If you go back, does that mean you go to prison right away? Yes, it's very dangerous for him to go back now. If he would come back to Egypt, they would put him in prison for at least five years. They arrest all the time opposition people and human rights activists. And after they, these people spend their, like, finish their serve, to serve their time in prison, they're giving them, and now they blame them for something else. And then something else, until they live all their life, until they die inside prison. They don't want them to, to go out. In your role as both founder and most of the time director of the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness, you get exposed to many issues for women. We've talked about a couple of them already. Female genital mutilation is one, but there's also other issues like the marriage laws, birth control. Are there other issues that are very current in Egypt right now? He said that there are many other things. Among them, the first thing is rape inside the family, like when the husband rapes his wife against her will, and no one, no one is talking about this issue. And also to have about safe abortions inside Egypt, equality between men and women, and also enabling women to go to the decision-making organizations, like to the important organizations inside Egypt. Let's talk about a few of those issues. I actually, I'm ignorant about what age girls can be married in Egypt. In the United States, we say maybe it's 18 or 17 or 16. It's different depending on which state. And with the permission of parents, it can be different. What is the age at which girls are considered to be adults 
in Egypt? And what age can they marry at with or without parents' permission? Uh, 18 is the official and uh, legal age to get married. A woman can get married without the permission of the of her parents and the family. Uh, she can do it without their consent if she got divorced or if she is a widow. But for the question, when she's considered an adult, like she can buy things and sell things and stuff like that, that's at the age of 21. If a woman wants to marry without the consent of the family, it's possible, but the family is doing a lot of trouble to women that want to marry without their consent. What kind of problems can the family give to the woman who gets married without their permission? What happens in that case? I assume there are women who do it. You, you Basically, they don't talk to her at all. They don't visit her, nothing like that. They like boycotting her and she doesn't get her uh, shared inheritance. Like when someone dies and leaves you things, she won't get it. Well, that makes it a difficult situation. So let's talk about a couple of the other issues that you deal with as part of the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness. Abortion. I realize I I should also ask you, how many of these attitudes are the attitudes of Egyptians? How many of them are attitudes that come from Islam, from Muslims? And how many of these attitudes are attitudes which come from the dictatorship of Sisi? Attitudes towards abortion, for example, might be religious, they might be governmental, they might be national. So if you can tell me about where these attitudes come from, I'd like to know that. To a safe abortion, you have lots of uh, objections from the Islamists and the religious people. And also you have it by the laws from uh, Assisi that he is acting against women's rights. You also have many of the Egyptians that they are affected by the Islamic culture. The women organization encourage the women to be aware that uh, the woman has a right to her body, she has a right to choose, and there are lots of reasons to do the abortion. Uh, for example, if a woman already have lots of children and she can't economically deal with more, she, like, she, she doesn't have the means to take care of them. Or there are also cases that women is getting her child because if a father raped his daughter or if a brother raped his sister and she got pregnant. So this is another supposedly good reason to do an abortion. Is birth control available in Egypt and is it used? He said that they exist, but they are not so like safe to use. And many people uh, get pregnant because of mistakes with these things. Many people that do abortions, they usually do it secretly. And many times the doctors tell them, well, if you want to have an abortion, you must sleep with me, have sex with me, because this is like behind the scenes, this is secretly done. That's why they claim that the abortions should be done inside hospitals as something public and official. Again, to be clear, is birth control available? I don't know, the pill or condoms or IUD, are all those things available and legal? And would they be safe as well? 
Wow. You can get them, but not much. And even if women like take the pill, many, many times they forget or they don't do it right. So it exists, but the effect of it is very small, basically. Again, folks, today for Spirit in Action, we're speaking with human rights lawyers, specifically women's rights from Egypt, Reda Eldenbuki. And fortunately, we also have the help of Ran Mayer, who is acting as translator. He is located in Israel. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about Ran's connection with Reda, because these topics are not new between them. Fortunately, thank you again, Ran, for stepping forward to help us with the translation today. Basically, I used to work for an organization called the Clarion Project. Uh, it's an organization that works challenging extremism and promoting dialogue between the West and the Arab and the Muslim world. Among that, we used to also do documentaries. One of these documentaries used to be called Honor Diaries. And this film, uh, I did all of the Arabic, uh, the translation and the Facebook page and subtitles. So I had, theoretically still have a Facebook page of the movie. It used to have more than 500,000 people on this page. Nowadays, uh, it has only 470,000. So I uh, got to know Reda from this Facebook page, and we did some great things together, basically. He helped me screen the movie on the diaries inside Egypt, I think at least five or six times. In addition, we, we did together a small uh, documentary about women's circumcision inside Egypt. It was like a seven-minute clip, which was very good. And also we organized together demonstrations against forced marriage and the right of women to be single. It was called the Single and Proud. We have a clip of one minute of this demonstration. It was quoted in more than 50 media outlets in Egypt, even though it's not legal to do, to do demonstrations in Egypt. And he, he also uh, he gave me very good stories about what he was doing to help women. And we published it in our site. And we did like film festival of uh, women that has sound that censored voice women festivals and Reda participated also in them. We did lots of things, to get, beautiful things together. Well, I'm so thankful that you're helping him out today and have worked with him so much in the past. Now, you're in Israel, and the Clarion Project has a wider view. I don't know how far around the world it goes. Egypt, uh, Israel, a number of different countries. Does it reach to the U.S. and to Australia? Basically, they sit in the U.S. I was sitting here in Israel because I was the correspondent and I was in charge of the Arab and Muslim world. So I, was, I used to give them the stories from the media and all kinds of translations and interviews with people from the Arab world and researchers. That was my role, my duty. But basically, they sit in America, and the audience is American of the, of the Clarence Project. I was just here because I was doing the Middle Eastern stuff. And are there any counterparts to the issues that you're dealing with about Egypt with Reda that arrive also within Israel? Because after all, a certain percentage, 20%, I think, of the population is Arabic. Do these issues arrive also amongst both the Muslim and I suppose the Jewish people in Israel as well? 
basically what I did at work didn't have any relations to what's happening in, uh, in Israel. Because Israel, I think it's more democracy than Egypt, basically. And the Muslim population inside Israel, the 20%, they have rights like the Jews. I don't say it's full equality, we're still not there, but they have many rights and I think most of them are happy to live in Israel. And there is a peace agreement between Israel and Egypt, but it's a cold peace, as we call it, because it's peace between the governments, it's peace between the security organizations. It's not a warm peace between the people. Now, lately, we had also, if, if I may, peace agreements with the Emirates and with, and with Bahrain. And this is much more of a warm peace than what we have with the countries like Jordan and, and Egypt, because it came also from the people. We didn't have security issues with them, never. And if, for example, you're an Israeli, you want to do an interview with someone from Jordan or Egypt, it's very hard because the people on the streets, the families, the government, they don't like it. But if you go on to, to the Gulf states, it's not a problem to, to interview someone from these countries. Well, I'm thankful that you've highlighted some of the work that's helped bringing the countries together. From your perspective, Ron, is there progress being made in Egypt? Or can you see the, you said a cold piece, is it, is it a colder piece now? Well, I'm not sure it's colder because if you talk like from a security point of view, it's an excellent piece. We say this piece, like the Sisi era, it's very, very good from Israel from a security point of view. Like we have cooperation uh, between the, the government and the army. It's very tightened. Like if we had problem with the Hamas and uh, terror organization, we have excellent cooperation. We have economic ties, but you don't have people going to visit. That still needs to be improved if it will be improved in our days. You can't see like Israeli products on a supermarket inside Egypt. If, for example, like someone... It doesn't matter what his profession is working with Israelis and the paper is like publishing it. So all of the people will like boycott him. Look, he's working with the, with the Israelis, even though there's peace. There is still much hate inside, unfortunately. Well, I'm sorry to hear about all of that. I think if I may, that one step to be closer is to know the other's person language. That's why I'm personally trying to encourage people inside Israel to know more Arabic. And I'm also thinking about opening a page, a Facebook page in Arabic to free teach people Hebrew, like our people that does know Hebrew, because when you know someone's language, it's easy to get closer to him. Mm -hmm. I have a, a good friend here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I live, who is Jewish. And so he's been studying for the last couple years Arabic and has conversations with someone in Egypt because exactly that reason. You can't make real peace and friendship without being able to speak to one another. Definitely. Folks, today for Spirit in Action, we have Reda Eldenbuki here. He is founder and director of the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness in Egypt. 
He is residing in the Midwest of the United States right now because of security issues of his own, because of danger for himself, and actually because of health issues. I want to ask you about that in a moment, Rita. But first, I wanted to remind everybody you are listening to Spirit in Action. NorthernSpiritRadio.org is our website where you can find links to all of our guests of the last 15 years. And when you want to track down, for instance, the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness, best way to approach them is via the link that we have on Facebook. Their initials, WCGLA, on Facebook will get you there. We'll have more links that you can contact, including to the Clarion Project on our website. All of that and a possibility of posting comments and rating our programs and making donations to Northern Spirit Radio, it's all on northernspiritradio.org. So come and do that. And remember to support your local media. Northern Spirit Radio programs are carried on some 40 different community radio stations across the USA. They need your support. And local media is so important, including like that work of the Clarion Project. Alternative media gets a voice out there and makes possible peace and justice in the world that otherwise will not happen. So support your local media stations. Again, we're speaking with Reda Eldambuki through his translator, Ran Mayer, who was with the Clarion Project. I want to continue down some more of the issues that women deal with and progress or lack of progress that's happening in Egypt. I wanted to ask you specifically, Reda, about spousal violence or marital rape. Those things happen in the United States. I think they happen in every country. But is there a special role or permissive attitude? Is it allowed? Is it illegal in Egypt? And is it enforced? It's very difficult, I know, to step into the middle of a marriage and be a judge from the outside. He said that uh, this phenomenon is very spread inside Egypt. Many women have talked with his organization about it. The law doesn't exist about this issue, and the husbands uh, always easily deny it. He said that this is something that's very important. We must say and claim that this is a, a crime that uh, women are suffering from it. And he said that many times it's very easy to prove it and to take it to court because a woman would have like marks if you try to shut her mouth like that. Or if you like drop her on the floor or if she get like bruised or if she has scratches between her legs. It's very easy to prove it and bring it to court, but there is there should be a will from the people and the country to do it. I wanted to talk about a couple of the individual actions you took, Reda, as part of the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness in Egypt. Back in 2019, at the end of Ramadan, you organized a legal aid clinic during Eid al-Fitr. Why at that particular time, why did you set up that legal clinic He said that they made this legal clinic to help women who are poor and don't have the means to fight things with law and lawyers. 
Now, they did it at this specific timing because at the end of Ramadan and the religious holiday like Eid al-Fitr and something called Shaman Nisa, there are many, many uh, sexual harassments and attacks uh, against women. And they had to find the, the way and the means to do it properly to help as much women as they can in these specific times. I also wanted to ask you about what happened back in 2015. Razlan Fadl, he was the first person convicted of performing female genital mutilation, female circumcision in Egypt after his patient died, after Suhir, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Suhir Al-Bateya. Sahir Al-Bateya. Sahir Al-Bateya. So I understand that you were part of the prosecution in that case, enforcing the law. You prosecuted him. The law was enforced. He was guilty. But yet he continues to practice medicine. So what was the penalty for Raslan in that case? Uh, He said that this doctor, Raslan, was arrested only for three months. And after that, he came out and he continued to doing uh, circumcision for women and, and to girls, even though his clinic is next to the police. The police know exactly what, what he was doing and they did nothing. And he even adds that even more than that, this case and all of this trial and all of these three months, it was good, good publicity from him because now we have much more customers that he can circumcise than in the past because of what happened, ironically. And they're talking about it and they're asking the government to have more rules and fight this phenomenon. And the government in return is fighting them, harassing them, and they're not allowing them to travel. That's the reward for trying to fight these phenomenon. I'm so sorry to hear that it is working that way. I also understand, Reda, that last year in October, you were one of the presenters at a gathering sponsored by the Carter Center called Building Solidarity Towards Equality for All. Could you talk about that event in Atlanta, Georgia? Who was there, what you hope to accomplish, and any stories you have of that experience? He was invited by a previous president, Jimmy Carter, to speak about women's rights. He talked about issues like women's circumcision, rape inside the family, also between the husband and his wife, uh, safe abortions, early marriages, equality between men and women, and the rights of gays, transgenders, and the LGBTQ community. After he got back to Egypt, he was detained at the airport, and they threatened him that if he would try to participate in something like that again, they won't able him to travel ever again. He said this was a very uh, international and major event, and participated more than 300 activists from all around the world, from different continents. It sounds like a very exciting event to be part of. I'm glad that Reda's voice got to be raised there as well. 
you know, there's some attitudes that I still don't understand. I have good Muslim friends here in the United States. And actually, when I was in Togo, when I was in the Peace Corps in the late 1970s, I had Muslim neighbors who were friends. So I think my attitudes and my familiarity with Muslims is larger than most Americans. But I still don't know about the attitudes of countries as a whole. The attitudes and laws about women that are, exist in Egypt, how do they compare to the laws of other Muslim-controlled countries, the Arabic countries or Pakistan and so on? How do the laws and attitudes towards women in Egypt compare to others? Are they more liberal, more conservative? Are they different? Yeah, yeah. There are countries that are much better than Egypt, uh, Tunisia and Morocco and also Turkey, but uh, Egypt is a better shape than countries like Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia. He says, but we must understand that the differences are not so big, because once the, you know what the Sharia is, like the, the Islamic law, it governs about how women should dress, women are allowed to make their own decisions and rights, so there are differences, but we need to understand those differences are not that big. Well, thank you for that glimpse into how these laws, the attitudes towards women exist in various Muslim countries. I'm wondering if you're able to continue your work for the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness while you're here in the United States. What kind of women's rights and laws and legal cases can you pursue while you're here in the U.S.? He said that it's much better now because he's much more free to do it. He's working with the internet, he's giving them like technical support through uh, Zoom and other means, and it makes it much more easier. He's calling to the organization, he's in touch with his crew, they have like these meetings and the seminar, especially in the era of the corona they're doing a very good job they're continuing the same job and they will not stop so you're continuing your work from here reda you have the people that you work with in egypt are they in danger for the work that they're continuing to do on site there he says that yes, they are in danger, in danger, but the greatest danger is the one that is the manager and the one that did this organization. They have very small danger because they can tell them you're not allowed to travel or other small things but they are not in the danger of being detained or in prison. He is the prominent voice to talk. They have like very, very few dangers. Well, I'm glad to hear that they're doing okay. How about your family in Egypt? Is it okay to ask about them? And are, are they doing okay? This is a very big problem that he is in America and they might be in danger, in danger they are getting threats. Sometimes the security forces come, they search the house and they continue to threat them. 
he's very worried about them and he is not sure what he can do. Is there anything that we can do from here, if our listeners or from the government of the United States, is there anything we can do to help your family too? What can be done from here in America is like talk to the migration office, first of all, to ease all of his procedure and enable his family to migrate to America and join him, to make it easier for them to come from Egypt to here. I look so forward to the day when I can greet his wife and children as they arrive in the Midwest of the United States. That will be a beautiful day. Thank you so much. There's just a couple more things I want to ask you about, Reda, and Ran as well, if you want to chime in on these. Uh, again, we're speaking with Reda Eldanbuki, who is both founder and director of the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness in Egypt. He's currently residing in the Midwest of the United States. But fortunately, we also have Ran Mayer, formerly of, he was a correspondent for the Clarion Project, and he's located in Israel, acting as our translator. But a couple more questions that I wanted to ask you about. You did already mention that you're operating a little bit differently in the era of COVID-19. People are working remotely. You didn't say whether that would affect positively or negatively women's rights in Egypt. Does COVID have an effect on women's rights in Egypt right now? Women's situation was affected by the COVID situation. Many women uh, lost their jobs and many women who used to work full-time job now work only part-time. His organization suffered from the have little budget. You don't have the opportunities to meet women face-to-face. It affected all the civil society inside Egypt and, of course, the world. They're using uh, new tactics ever since the last month with the Zoom. They did seminar about women's circumcision. And they were also meeting using the mask and all of the appropriate equipment that is being used today. There was also a major increase in violence because women and men are a lot of at home together, so it only increases the violence. And we were also witnessing to a lot of divorce. The case of divorce rose because of it. Lots of violence and lots of divorce. <laughs> I think that divorce works differently in Egypt and maybe in Muslim societies in general than in the United States. In the United States, men's and women's rights about divorce are roughly equal. In Egypt, is divorce done differently because of the Muslim society? He says that it's a very good question. The man can like uh, bend his wife and he said, you are divorced, you go from here and that's it. But if a woman wants to get a divorce from a man, it's much harder. She has to go to court 
and she needs to give proof that why she wants to get a divorce, if he's beating her, if he's not paying her money, uh, or if she has other good reason. It's not justice because, and the woman after the divorce, she gets her rights only a few months after that, after all the things inside court. So again, the man says, you are banned, go away, that's it, they're divorced. If woman wants, it's a whole hard and long process. That must be very difficult to deal with. I also, I hesitate to assign as responsibility Islam itself for many of these beliefs. I realize that religions take what's given to them and they implement it for their society now. I think you must have a number of very high-standing, good Muslims who also support equal rights for women in Egypt. Could you talk about some of your supporters? Are your supporters Muslim and non-Muslim and not just foreigners? Uh, he says that uh, most of his support is coming out from an uh, organization outside Egypt, be it in the America or in the UK or in Denmark. They are using it to do seminars and researches and they help many people and they help men and women and they don't care which where do you come from, what is your religion, what is your background. They help everyone who needs their help. Well, there's one last thing that I'd like to ask you about, Reda, because I haven't spoken to enough Egyptians about how they felt about Arab Spring, as we call it in the United States, back in 2011. I do know that for me, it was very exciting to see each of these Arabic countries rising up. And it felt to me like people taking power for themselves. It looks to me like it did not go in a good direction for Egypt. And I'm wondering if you have an idea of what could have happened differently. At the beginning, the Arab Spring was something like spectacular. And he was very enthusiastic about it because Egypt was going in the good, natural way because people felt that Egypt is their country. They could walk the streets, the gardens, there were services, helping everyone. But a short while after that, the Muslim Brotherhood, and especially the army, took over. They set aside all the demonstrators and all the people who came to rebel and they didn't like acknowledge all of the rights and all of what people were demanding and they didn't give people the opportunity to talk and to say what they want and what are the rights they took over and they banned all the demonstrators and all the activists and all the activity they wanted the country egypt to be only egypt of the army Nothing else exists besides the army who is controlling the country and becoming a dictatorship. Do you have an idea of where the uprising went wrong? What could have been done differently? Uh, they didn't feel safe with the Muslim Brotherhood and they trusted the army, basically. 
And Sisi uh, said, I won't take over, I, won't, I will not uh, try to be the president or take over the, the regime, and they were happy. And after the Muslim Brotherhood were removed, they understood that Sisi lied to them and he took over, and at the end they didn't give them nothing. And these demonstrations basically brought them in to rule. But now all of the demonstrations are banned and are considered a crime and they're not legal. All of these demonstrations, that these demonstrations brought, brought Sisi and his companions to, to rule, basically. It sounds to me like it's a bad idea to trust that the military will keep you free. He said that he agrees with you totally, but they didn't have any other options, basically. They had no one else to turn to, basically. They prefer civic government that the people are ruling, but you didn't couldn't find those people. Those people were inside prisons. The people was being deported or harassed. You couldn't find them, so you had only the army. Well, I'm sorry that Egypt has gone in that direction. 2011 was such a hopeful moment. And your work is very hopeful to me. The fact that there are people like those who work with the Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness, you, Reda Dambuki, and supporters, people helping getting the word out, like Ran Mayer, who is correspondent for Clarion Project, who's active now still from Israel, All of these people help make the world a better place. And I'm so thankful that you have risked your life, Reda, your life and well-being for these causes and that you're joining me here today for Spirit in Action. He said they try to spread the peace and they hope this world will be without violence and with love and peace among everyone. So thank you so much, Reda Eldanbuki. Thank you. And thank you so much, Ran Mayer, for joining us today. Thank you. You can follow the work of Reda Eldanbuki and Ran Mayer a few different places online. I've got a link to Reda's Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness on Facebook. Search on Facebook for the initials WCGLA from Women's Center for Guidance and Legal Awareness. Of course, we have the link on northernspiritradio.org and also a link for the Clarion Project. That's clarionproject.org. Lots more info and valuable work and issues via both of these links. Check them out, and we'll see you all next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Spirit in Action